Welcome, new lifers. Good to see you guys. My name is Ed Travers. I'm a pastor down at New Life OSU, and uh, I'm so grateful to be here today. Uh, this is home for me. If you've not met me or uh, you haven't been around when I've been invited to be a guest speaker, uh, I was once here. This was my home church, and I served here for many years. And uh, back in 2002, we started a Bible study down at Ohio State for students. And in 2003, we planted a church. We've been serving there ever since. Uh, one of the highlights this past year, uh, we had, there's a girl who came to Ohio State as a freshman. Her name is Natasha. And uh, it didn't take long. She met some believers, and eventually she gave her heart to Jesus. And this past fall, she was baptized in our church, and she uh, gave her testimony of transformation to all of the people in the congregation. Uh, it was one of the highlights of our year. Um, and this past year, as she's been growing, uh, we've had some girls kind of in her life and discipling her and training her. And this next fall, when the students get back, uh, she's going to be helping lead a small group to reach out to the incoming students, um, which is awesome. Um, I love... I love students. I love uh, what God does in their lives. And uh, I got to say this, you may not realize this, uh, but you are the biggest supporter of what we do. Um, you're the leadership that's provided from your staff here to me and the prayers that are given. And uh, it's just, you know, and the resources. I just want to say on behalf of myself and the staff of New Life, uh, thank you so much for being such a big part of what we do. Well, I am, uh, I'm grateful to be here. I just turned 45 this past summer. Um, I have uh, a sweet family. Here's a picture of my family. <laughs> Don't judge me. My wife, Tammy, she and I, this August 1st, we'll be married for 18 years. And uh, yeah, you can clap for her. And my daughter, Abigail, she's 10. And on the right-hand side, my youngest daughter, Carly, she's 8. Uh, these are my pride and joy, my love, my, my life. Uh, I'm surrounded by estrogen. <laughs> It'd be nice to have someone throw a football in the house just once. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, you know, I love them. I, um, I started to really fall in love with Jesus about the time I was 21. I was, I was raised in a church where I, I, we didn't really learn much about the Bible, and then during my teenage years, we didn't go to church at all, but my grandfather taught us a Bible study. So I started to learn some things about the Bible during that time. But about 21, I had come out of a hard time, and I really, for the first time, turned to Jesus. Just, I just needed his help. And at that time, he just kind of intersected my life, and I just fell in love with God. I fell in love with Jesus. I was going to a good church. I was going to Bible studies twice a week. And that joy that was in me, just the joy of of just finding Jesus, finding the grace of God was overwhelming. I wanted to share Jesus with everybody. Do you, can you think back and you remember that time in your life when you started to really discover Jesus? Do you remember that? I want to share Jesus with everybody. I was at work one time. One of my coworkers was on the phone. It was a girl. She was on the phone with her boyfriend. She gets off the phone and she's crying. Now, I don't know what they were talking about to this day. I have no idea. But she's crying. I'm like, what's going on? And she starts to talk and she goes, my boyfriend says, we're just going to hell anyway. I said, well, you don't, you don't have to go to hell. You know that, right? She's like, well, what do you mean? I, so I just started sharing the gospel. I started explaining to her that she just needs Jesus. And she was very interested. I said, hey, would you like to do a Bible study? She's like, yeah. Now I'm thinking, look, <laughs> I don't know much about the Bible. I just know more than you do. This, is, this would be great, you know? So 
I thought, let's do this. So she invited a friend. So it was me and her two, you know, her and her friend show up to a Bible study first time. And I just shared the book of Matthew chapter one. I just went through it telling her everything I learned because basically I had to learn it that week because I didn't know the books of the Bible. I didn't know much of anything. I just studied, 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 learned, and I just shared what I learned. I'm like, this was great. After that first night, I was so uh, overwhelmed with joy. I was like, I felt like God was high. I just... I, I, could, I couldn't believe what I was feeling. I felt like for the first time in my life, everything made sense. To be able to share Jesus with people is just such a joy. So I did what all of you would do. That night after it was over, I went home to my mom. I said, Mom, you're not going to believe this. I shared Jesus with some people today that have never heard of Jesus. She's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know if it happened so fast. <laughs> Listen, I have never lost that joy. The joy of sharing Jesus with people. I am grateful that you're here today. You're giving me an opportunity to actually share Jesus with you. You're doing me a favor today. So thank you so much. I love talking about Jesus. Listen. Steve asked me to come, and he said, we're in a series called Gospel-Powered Love. And the first week is all about loving one another. And you know that if you're here in this room, if you're an insider, if you consider yourself a church person, then you know we're supposed to love each other. And as we do that, everyone on the outside will see that we are disciples of Jesus. And then we're supposed to love our neighbor, that we notice those who are hurting. We notice those people and we go out of our way to help them and to love them. And then we're supposed to love the world. That It's our responsibility to partner with what God is trying to do in the world, in the nations. And how awesome it is that this particular week that Brian and the team are trying to share the gospel down in Costa Rica. But do you know that we're all supposed, supposed to love the lost? We're supposed to love the lost. Look, if you're here and someone convinced you to come today, like they, they promised you lunch or something like that, and you don't consider yourself a church person, like, listen, we don't all sit in a room and think, those lost people, they don't know their directions. Like, we don't do that. Let me explain to you what lost means. Because everyone on the inside, they went to Sunday school. We know what the word means. It refers to a parable that Jesus taught. He was talking about this father and a son. The father, you know, loved his son, but the son decided to turn his back on his father, take his father's money, and go off and live wildly. Didn't want to be in a relationship with the father. But what happened was, as the son went out and he lived his life, at some point he, he lost all his money. He decided to come back to the father. And when he came back to the father, the father embraced him and loved him and brought him into community. And his father said, what was once lost is now found. And Jesus referred to that as people who have basically decided to go and walk away from God. They don't really want to be in fellowship, in relationship with God. They want to walk away and do their thing and kind of be in charge of their own life. Some of those people are living wildly. Some people are on their way out. Some people are on their way back. But what it means to be found is to be in relationship with the Father through the Son. That, yeah, it's true that we've all probably had those moments where we've walked away, even done some wild things or done things that we're ashamed of and we're just waiting to be punished for. But the Father sent His Son to die on a cross to pay for all that punishment so that we could be in right relationship with the Father and we could be embraced. That's what it means to be found. So when I say lost, I'm simply saying people who have not yet made that connection through the Son. That's all we're saying. And listen, I love lost people. If you live in my neighborhood, 
I'm more likely to hang out with you if you're lost than if you're a follower of Jesus. Doesn't mean I don't like you. I do like you. But listen, if you're lost, I just invest and spend my time with lost people. My wife's best friend is a, is a girl who works for Hooters International. Her boyfriend that she lives with, like, he really would rather drink beer than talk theology. But I love these two. They're two of my best friends. I love them to death. Listen, if you're lost, you know, and you feel like you're in there, I love you. Like, you're glad you're here. We're commanded. That's, that's our heart is to love lost people. But here's the thing. If you're in the room and you are, you know, a Christian, you, you're a follower of Jesus, it's hard sometimes to love people who really don't even know that they're lost and really don't think like we do. They don't value God like we do. They don't value behaviors like we do. They don't value those things. And it's difficult for us sometimes to really kind of step over that gap and find a way to meet them where they're at and to love them. So look, if you're here and you feel like, you know, you're kind of an outsider trying to figure this whole thing out, I am so glad you're here because I think I have something that you need to hear today. But for you who are in the family, this message is really this. How do we love lost people the way that Jesus does? So what I want to do is I want to I get to a passage in the Bible in chapter uh, 5 of Luke. And I want to share something about uh, Luke that I think is going to help us. And so if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to pray for us, okay? <clears throat> Lord, I just thank you so much for being a God who absolutely loves us, that you care about us, that you sent your son for us. I pray, God, that you would give us your heart to see people the same way that you do. Teach us from your word right now what it means to love the lost. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, open up to, to Luke chapter 5, and it's, it's really, we're just going to look at six verses. Now, this particular story was actually covered in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I just chose Luke, and uh, we're going to share it, and I'm going to break it into three basic sections, and in those three sections, the points I want to make, I think are going to help us by the end to figure out what it means to love the lost. Now, in the first thing I really want to say is this, is that Jesus always will lead you toward lost people. Now, at this point in the passage, what's happened is, is that Jesus has come on the scene, he's done a few miracles, and then he's gathered a couple of guys to himself. He handpicked them to be his guys. So think Peter, James, John, a couple others, and they're his guys. And he's basically chosen them, and he's kind of moving forward now. And now put yourself in their place. They're probably thinking, okay, we've got this guy. We think he's the Messiah, and he's talking about a new kingdom, and he's picked us. So they're probably thinking, yeah, we need to get like some military people. We need to maybe get some rich people, get some maybe people of influence, and get those people and be on our team. But look at what Jesus did. This, this is crazy. Um, in verse 27, Luke chapter 5, it says this. Now, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. This is crazy. This is crazy. Let me explain to you. If you had lived in that part of Israel at that point in time, let me explain. There were like three classes of people. There's the religious people. These are the people like Pharisees and scribes and lawyers, the people who kind of ruled everything, and they followed the laws of God. Then there's these people. They're called sinners, people who didn't follow the laws of God, and they were kind of on the outs. So, you know, then when there was a whole other group of people called tax collectors, they had their own, like, category. 
Let me tell you why. Because the tax collectors actually worked for Rome. Israel despised being under Rome's leadership. But Rome taxed Israel, and they hired Israelites to come and be tax collectors of the people. The way a tax collector made money is he would tax them, but he would overtax them, and that's whatever was left over he kept for himself. So not only did they sell out Israel, but they're making their living off the people of Israel, and they were despised people. Imagine, just for a moment, that you're these guys, and you, know, you were handpicked by Jesus, and you're, heading, you know, you're following Jesus, you're thinking, Jesus, we're going to get some people, we're going to get this thing going, we're going to get this movement off, you know, and we're heading, and he's going, what's he going to the tax collector booth for? What's he going to do? What? He just asked that tax collector to join us. What is the matter with you, Jesus? You're killing this thing. But listen, if you follow Jesus, he's always going to lead you toward lost people. You know, that first Bible study I led, those two people turned into four and six and eight. And all the people that showed up at my Bible study, they were all lost, all of them. And you know how they lived? I mean, they made decisions. There were people like sleeping with each other, people getting hammered, someone got pregnant. I mean, it was crazy. They all made really bad decisions. It was awesome. I mean, <laughs> I, I was overwhelmed by like, man, I, I was just, God keeps bringing these people out of the woodwork, and we're talking about Jesus every week. Out of that Bible study, two of them, two of them love Jesus to this day. They encouraged me to follow Jesus. There were many people that came in and out. It was about a three-year period I led that Bible study. And here's what I learned in that time. I learned that if I'm going to follow Jesus, he's always going to lead me toward lost people. And I also learned that, at, you know, I was also involved in Bible studies at church, and I could never seem to get these people connected. And I always wondered why. And this is what I came to the conclusion. It is possible to be a Christian and be in the church and never interact at all with lost people, never invite them into your life. And I'm not, you know, I'm still debating in my mind, why is that? But I started to learn that. And I think it's easy sometimes to become a Christian and say, this is what I believe, but actually not follow Jesus at all. I think when you follow him, he's always going to lead you towards the lost. That's what he did with his guys. You know, Levi, his name is actually Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. Looking back on it, it's not so crazy. Tax collectors were really good at recording information. He wrote a book called Matthew, where he recorded lots of information. Maybe it wasn't a bad idea after all. You know, <clears throat> that Bible study, it lasted about a three-year period. And there were many people that kind of came in and out of that, you know, that, the group. And, but one of the great things that happened in that time is all these people introduced me to all their friends. And all their friends mostly kind of were like them, you know. And uh, I, I, I got to meet lots of people. And there were, you know, there were weddings because, you know, they were young. There were people who had birthday parties and cookouts. And so I got to meet all these people. And what happens for me was really cool was because I was like their only Christian friend. They asked me to read the Bible at all their weddings. So at the same time, I was working at that company as a retail establishment. And my, my the first Bible study girl, she had a roommate who had a sister named Catherine. And this girl said, hey, my sister Catherine's moving to town. Can you hire her because she needs a job? I'm like, sure. So we did an interview, which really meant, hey, come get hired. So she, she took the job, and she's, you know, she's a prestigious cashier at my retail establishment that I worked at. So that's what she did. Well, after, you know, we invited her to Bible study. She never really came. And after a while, she realized she could make a lot more money if she just became an exotic dancer in Columbus. So that's what she did. 
she became a dancer, and she made a lot more money. That's what I hear anyway. So nevertheless, you know, we didn't really hang out a lot, you know, but we, I saw her at stuff. Well, anyway, during that time, she met a guy at the club who had a little drug problem. Anyway, his name was William. Anyway, so Catherine and William, they find each other. They just fall in love, and they start dating. Then I start seeing him at all these weddings and things like that, and I kind of hit it off with William because William, you know, he would say to me, wow, I, saw, I noticed you read the Bible at all these things. You should get a business card, like, you know, retail guy, Bible reader. I'm like, yeah, that would be a good idea. <laughs> so we hit it off. Well, anyway, at one of the parties, he was playing the guitar. Now, at the time, I was dating Tammy, and so I said to William, I said, William, could you teach me to play guitar? He's like, sure, because here's what I was thinking. Look, I, don't, I know I'm not going to be a great musician. I get that, but if Tammy thinks I'm cool, that's going to be great for me. So I, every week I would hang out with William and Catherine and sometimes they'd feed me dinner and we would just hang out and, you know, sometimes we'd talk about life, we'd talk about his experiences and her experiences and my experience, all that kind of stuff. But he would teach me guitar and sometimes he would be so patient just teaching me, you know, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, eventually, you know, Tammy thought I was cool and she married me. So that was great. <laughs> Catherine got a new job. They got married and they got pregnant. And so we would go over to the house all the time. We would just hang out and Catherine and Tammy, they just loved each other. Well, anyway, in the midst of all these conversations one day, you know, she, you know, they had asked about Jesus. I said, well, would you be interested in a Bible study? And they're like, yeah, actually we would. So we started a Bible study with a drug addict and a stripper. <laughs> it was awesome. You know, that, that Bible study, as it got on, and this is what I realized, Catherine really was hungry. She wanted to know about Jesus. And I, I thought, man, what am I going to do with these two? And the baby was coming up, and I thought, man, you guys need child care. I know a couple, a friend of mine, they, they love Jesus. And I know she's a stay-at-home mom, and she does child care. You guys should meet them and maybe let her do the child care. And that's exactly what happened. And here's what I was thinking. I'm thinking, man, this is, this is my chance to get an ally. I have another couple that will love on them. I'll love on them. Tam, I mean, we'll, this will be great, and hopefully we can love them to Jesus. But here's what happened. Well, <clears throat> the, you know, as sometimes this happens, my friend who's a Christian, the, the one watching the kid, she kind of looked at these people and the way they live their life, and to be honest with you, I mean, there were some things, you know, and she started trying to correct this, this new mom about parenting, about life, about how to be a wife, and, you know, and then she's getting angrier and angrier, and then, you know, it turned into, like, tension, and then verbal altercation, then the husbands are like, I got to protect my wife, and then it became really contentious, and then this couple, William and Catherine, kind of looked at Tammy and me like, oh, we're one of them, and eventually, we lost touch with William and Catherine, and William never got over his drug addiction, and eventually their relationship split completely. And I gotta be honest with you, I was dumbfounded. Because I just thought Christians would just treat lost people with an incredible amount of grace. That they would understand that, yeah, they don't make decisions like you, they don't believe like you do. I get that. They need grace. But it, it didn't happen. And, and it hurt our friendship. I mean, we're still friends to this day, but it did hurt for a while. I just, I was dumbfounded. But this, I can tell you that if you follow Jesus, he's going to lead you towards lost people. That's what we're supposed to do. We're, he's always going to lead us towards lost people for following him. Secondly, is that Jesus never endorsed an us versus them mentality. He never did that. Look at what happened in this story Verse 29 says this, 
Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, you know, I understand this, but put yourself in the position of the disciples, right? So they're thinking, Jesus, seriously, you can't invite a tax collector into this. You're going to hurt our reputation. And Jesus probably said something like, oh, you think our reputation's bad now? We're going to a party, you know? So he's like, let's go. They go to the party. And who, what kind of people is Matthew going to invite to the party? People like him. I mean, who's going to hang out with him except fellow tax collectors and people like that? So this was this huge party of people that you, you and I probably wouldn't hang out with. But nevertheless, that's the party of people. And then the religious people show up. They're probably kind of on the outside. And they're like, hey, John, you're one of us, right? John's like, yeah. So John, John, why does, the, why does Jesus eat with, with tax collectors and sinners? He's like, I don't know, let me ask him. So he asked him, and, and Jesus, in front of everyone, goes, tell him. Tell him why. And it, listen, here's the thing. These religious people, these religious people saw these tax collectors and sinners as a them. Jesus treated them like an us. Now, I don't know why that happens. I'm not sure. In my mind, this is what I've come up with, and this is just my, my theory. I think that sometimes even Christians today, we're so concerned with what other people believe or how they behave. Like somehow we become the police of what everyone believes and behaves, and we think, wow, you're a them. I'm not sure why that is. I, listen, if you have a Facebook account, you know in the last couple of weeks there's been a lot of us and them stuff going on, and I, I get it. I just don't think that we have the right to expect these people to believe what we believe. I just don't think so. They're certainly not going to behave like we do. Jesus never endorsed an us versus them mentality. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. Um, his name is Jerome. He's a college student. Now listen, if you're in the church, then you know the longer you're in the church, your circles are just become more church circles. And the reason is because we like people who are like us. It's normal, right? So sometimes if you're in the church a long time, you have to work hard to get into circles that are outside. So for me, a college student, I, you know, working with college students at Ohio State, like I had have to work hard. So I was on, you know, the campus one day, and I've been looking and praying for atheists that I could hang out with, right? I don't have a lot of atheists knocking on my door. I don't know if you do, but I don't. So I'm like, I'm praying, God, give me an atheist. Anyway, I was, this guy was walking down the street, you know, and I'm like, hey. And we start talking, and I'm like, hey, what, you know, what's your faith background? He goes, oh, I'm an atheist. I'm like, is that right? He's like, <laughs> yeah. So I said, I explained to him, I said, look, I'm, I'm kind of interested in your views. I said, I'm a pastor of a church, and I'm always talking to college students who are believers, but I always want to help them understand how people who aren't Christians think. I said, you could do me a huge favor and just tell me your views. I said, I promise you, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to try to convert you. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to listen and respect you. I said, would you be willing to meet with me a few times? I'll buy you lunch. He's like, all right, I'll eat lunch. I'm like, great. So we decided to meet the first five or six weeks. All I did was ask him questions about his faith, and we talked about theology, about the Bible, about God, about Jesus. We talked about all that stuff. I got his views, and here's kind of what I got from him. Number one, he thought that the Bible was basically just, you know, something that men wrote. I'm like, okay. He, his only idea about Christianity came from what he'd seen in the media, so imagine if you're not a Christian and you hear Westboro Baptist Church is on the news picketing someone's funeral. That's what he knew about Christianity. 
But lastly, he came from an, an inner city Cleveland. He came from a broken home. The way his family broke up, he was about 11 or 12, and the family, basically the parents, they both cheated on each other, and it just, it got ugly, and it turned contentious and problematic, and dad ended up incarcerated, okay? So while, you know, he's in prison, the family kind of broke up a little bit, and there were all kinds of problems, as you can imagine. And what happened was, while he was incarcerated, mom and dad both started to become Christians, well, he got out of prison, life started stabilized, they didn't get back together, but things kind of stabilized, and they both kind of like, well, we're not really so much Christian anymore, it's not such a big deal. So in his mind, Christianity was basically some book written by men who made it up, uh, a bunch of mean people who picket, you know, funerals, and people who just need a crutch. That was his view of God. And to be honest with you, he acted in his behaviors like you would expect any college student who's an atheist to act. Didn't bug me. He acted exactly like I expected him to act. We never had a problem. So anyway, during those five or six times, we bonded. We became buddies. I just absolutely love him. I adore him. He's, I, we became friends. You know, I realize I'm like 20 years older than he is, but I'm kind of like, you know, a father figure to him. And we started hanging out all the time, sometimes weekly, sometimes every other month. I mean, he's been to my house. He's played with my kids. I absolutely love this young man. We've talked about everything. We've talked about work. We've talked about school. We've talked about dating. We've talked about struggles. We've talked about the UFC. We've talked about everything. I just love this young man. In our talks, sometimes I talk about my faith and what God's doing in my life. I talk about, like, how I try to live it out, what I read in the Bible. And one time he said to me, you know, he showed some interest in the Bible. I said, well, have you ever read the Bible? He's like, no. I'm like, do you have a Bible? He goes, no. I said, would you like one? He goes, sure. I'm like, all right. Let's go to Half Price Books. Let's go get one. So he jumps in my car. We go to Half Price Books, find a cheap Bible. I'm like, dude, here's your new Bible. He's like, great. He goes, how's it work? I'm like, well. <laughs> we went and we sat down, started in Genesis, and I started walking him through all the way to Revelation. I said, look, this is the whole story of God. This kind of starts here. This kind of stuff all points to Jesus, and then this stuff all points back to Jesus. Basically, the whole book is about Jesus. He's like, oh, okay. I said, you know, do you want to read? He goes, well, where, where do I read? I'm like, obviously Jonah. He's like, okay. So I had him read Jonah. Now you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. Why would you have a guy who's skeptical, who's never read the Bible, read the book of Jonah? Because it's awesome. That's why. It's a great book. One of his ideas is that somehow man wrote the Bible, and I know Jonah will correct that. So I had him read the book. You know, look, if you're here and you don't know Jonah, let me help you. All right, here's the deal. 800 B.C., Israel and the Assyrian empires, you know, like they are, they don't like each other. The Assyrians, horrible people, like they will kill you. Take your family, they're bad people. They have a capital city of Nineveh. That city is so wicked and so bad, God looks down at the city and goes, I'm, I'm wiping you out. But first, I'm going to send one of my guys, Jonah, a prophet, to your city and tell you, look, repent or else, and if you don't, I'm wiping you out. And so he gave him a chance. Problem is, Jonah hated the Ninevites. So Jonah's like, I'm not going there. I hate them. He goes exactly the opposite direction on a boat. So he's on the boat, and he's like, I'm not going there. Of course, God brings a storm up. The storm's going crazy. The people on the boat are like, what's going on? And then finally, they realize it's him. They're like, we're throwing you over. So he goes over, and then he gets swallowed by a fish. At this point, my buddy Jerome's like, huh, it's far-fetched. I'm like, you think it's far-fetched? He says, it's far-fetched. I said, listen, I think it's far-fetched too, except if God made DNA, he can make a fish that you can live in. I guess that's how it works. So, so he's like, all right. Here's the deal, chapter two, Jonah repents. I think when you're in a fish, you're more likely to repent than not. 
You don't have to be a genius to figure that out. So he's in the fish, and he gives this incredible prayer while he's in the fish. God spits him up out on land. He goes to Nineveh, preaches the message to Nineveh, and they repent. God spares them. He's like, why'd you have me read that? I'm like, look, you don't have to believe the Bible. You can believe history. That was 800 B.C. A hundred years later, the Assyrians came in, and they took over the Israelite people. A hundred years. I said, now, you know, a hundred years. 1915. How many generations have lived from 1915 till now? That's how many generations of people lived in peace between the two nations. Something happened. Something happened. He's like, you got a point. I'm like, but it's better than that. He's like, what do you mean? I said, chapter two. He's like, what's in chapter two? I said, you read it. I'm like, look, here's what it says. Chapter two, verse five, it says this. When he's kind of, now he wrote it after the fact, and he's writing kind of metaphorically. He's like, okay. So he wrote this. Chapter 2, verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And to the roots of the mountains I sank down. And the earth beneath me barred me in forever. He's like, so? I'm like, dude. I said, I said, listen, you've seen horror movies where a guy gets like possessed by a demon and they act all crazy. He's like, yeah. I said, when, when man wrote the Bible, they were possessed by the Holy Spirit. Same concept. Just not exactly like all the weird crazy stuff. Just a holy God goes inside a person and it influences them how to write. He's like, Where's that? I'm like, dude, you read it. It says it right here. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. That's a metaphor. He's going down to the pit. He's, it's almost like someone who would understand how the world was made wrote it. Why? Because in 800 BC, nobody knew there were mountains in the bottom of the, of the ocean. Nobody. They thought it was sandy bowls. You know? They didn't know. There were no submarines. Do you know how the world is made? The largest mountain ranges in the world are found in the ocean. If the world was a baseball, the seam that goes around the baseball, that's like a mountain range that goes underneath the ocean. He's like, huh. I said, how did Jonah know that? He goes, I don't know. I said, good point, huh? He goes, yeah. But that's not the point I wanted him to see. The point I wanted him to see was in chapter 4. He's like, what, what about chapter 4? I said, well, here's what happened. Jonah got angry at God because God spared the Ninevites. In verse, verse 2, it says this. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew it. I knew you, God. I knew you were going to spare them. You're so gracious and loving, so compassionate, <laughs> so slow to anger. Then he throws like a little fit in chapter 4. You should read. You should always read your Bibles. There's some great stuff in here. Anyway, reading down through, and then here's what God says to him at the end after his little fit. God says, but Nineveh, has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about the great city? You know what I wanted my friend Jerome to understand? God was for the Ninevites. He never endorsed an us versus them mentality. What you're going to find in Jesus is that Jesus doesn't endorse an us versus them mentality. And I want my friend Jerome to understand that God loves him no matter what he's done, what he's believed, or where he's been. There's always an opportunity to come to the Father. And if you're here today, listen, and you feel like you've been kind of out there and you're trying to make your way back, God is for you. He is for you. He's not against you. The third thing I want to say is that this Jesus wasn't threatened by lost people. Jesus wasn't threatened at all by lost people. When he 
when he told his guys to answer back the religious people, here's what he said. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus always went toward lost people with a message of repentance and a message of healing. I like to think of it like this, that, you know, when, we, when you see a fire, it's the firemen that go towards the fire, right? We all stand back like, whoa, firemen do your job. If there's a contagious disease that crops up in a certain part of the world, it's the missionaries and the medical missionaries that rush to the area to try to help the people while we step back and go, whoa, seal the borders, you know? In the same way, it's Jesus who goes towards the lost without any threat at all. He goes towards them. But here's the thing. When he made his statement, when he said, hey, John, tell them I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I didn't come for righteous. I came for sinners. He said that openly in front of Matthew and all his friends. Listen, you have to really love people, and they have to know that you love them to tell them the truth. They love Jesus. In fact, as history goes, as a story goes on and Jesus kept in his ministry, the tax collectors felt so safe with Jesus that when they met the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus became a believer in Jesus. There was something about Jesus that no matter who it was, they absolutely loved him. He could tell them the truth to their face. Imagine him saying, Matthew, Matthew, buddy, you know you're sick. Look, you're a tax collector. You know, and I'm here for you. You will have an opportunity at some point, if you love people who are lost, God may give you the opportunity to tell them the truth. Lost people are not a project. They're not a notch on the belt. They're not a people to be won. They're people to be loved and honored and valued. I have this, this couple in my life. Uh, they came into my life in a way I never expected. Uh, there was a young girl at uh, New Life at OSU that uh, fell in love with Jesus, got baptized there, and uh, became part of our staff for a while, and just a great young lady. Went on mission trips, and because of my relationship with her, um, you know, I, I was at her wedding and at family functions, and she went on mission trips, and sometimes her family was around. But here's the deal. She, we have prayer cards that we take every week. She would always pray for her sister. Her sister, we'll call her sister Sally. Sally, you know, lived in a same-sex relationship. And so her sister was very concerned for her and always praying for her. In fact, every week on her prayer card, she was always praying for her sister. Sometimes she would come to me and say, hey, you know, my sister doesn't seem interested in Jesus. What do I do? You know, she was always praying. Anyway, at one of these events, it was a fundraising event because uh, her sister was going on a mission trip. Uh, Sally was there, and there were lots of people around and, you know, milling around or whatever. And, you know, Sally and I came, like, face to face. And, I, I, you know, sometimes as an extrovert, I'm a little, I say a little bit too much, and sometimes I have to apologize. In this particular situation, I just said, hey, how you doing, Sally? And she's like, hey, good. And I said, can I tell you something? She's like, what? I said, I have never met a sister who prayed for their sister like your sister prays for you all the time. She just started crying. I'm like, oh, is that, uh, you know, I thought she's never talking to me again. I think I ticked her off. I don't know what was going on in her. Well, anyway, um, later on, you know, Sally, you know, over a year or so, she, she got out of that relationship, and she got another, uh, like a boy that she fell in love with, and she moved in with, and she just loved him to death. You know, they loved each other. Boy's name, we'll call him Clint. Anyway, they love each other. Anyway, sister comes to me and says, hey, my, my sister and her boyfriend, they, they love each other. I'm like, yeah. 
they want to get married someday, yeah, but they're struggling. You know, they fight all the time. They're struggling with this and that and the other, and they really need some help. I'm like, okay. And I, and I asked my sister if she would maybe talk to you and Tammy. Would you be willing to do that? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. They want to meet with us? Well, <laughs> I was shocked, but they actually did want to meet with us, and they, you know, her sister set the whole thing up. So we, we went to dinner one night, and I said, how are you guys doing? And they started telling all the stories. Well, we're really too selfish. We fight about everything, you know, this, that, and the other, just going on. And they're all normal stuff, just like you would imagine any other couple. Anyone who's had been a couple knows couples sometimes struggle. Anyway, so they're struggling, and they're, they're going, you know, what do you think? I said, well, listen, I think I can help you. I'm like, good. I said, I think I can help you not fight so much, okay? I think I can help you kind of understand each other better. That would be good. I think I can help you, like, learn to love each other better. We want that. I said, but I actually don't think I can help you long term. And they said, well, why? I said, because i got to be honest with you. <coughs> I just believe, and you know who I am. Yeah. I just believe that when God is in you, because the gospel starts to take root in your soul, that's what gives me the power to lay my life down for my wife. When it comes to arguments, it's the gospel in me that says I don't have to be right. When it comes to like how we love each other, it's the gospel in me that realizes that I need to love her in the way that she understands. The only thing that makes my marriage work, makes my relationship work, is the fact that Jesus affects me. And you know what? People sin. And because of sin, we're all broken. And that brokenness will tear you apart at some point. I said, but I just, you know, if you meet with me and meet with Tammy, we're going to talk about this stuff. He said, we want to do that. I'm like, okay, fine. We met every week, and we would pick like a topic a week, and we would just talk about, you know, communication or fighting or loving or what all, you know, all this kind of stuff. But every week, you know what I talked about most? Yes, the gospel. You know, I would just talk about the gospel, and I would, sometimes I would talk about how sin destroys our relationship with God and how that affects us and how that affects our relationships with each other. And at times, I would just start talking, and she would just bawl. I remember distinctly the moment at my house. Sally had come to meet with Tammy, and they were hanging out, and uh, I had come up and, you know, to the living room, and we were talking. And that, that day at the, my kitchen table, uh, Tammy and Sally and I held hands as Sally was just bawling again, giving her life to Jesus. They, they did get married. I love them dearly. I believe that Clint is going to find Jesus. He's really close. He's a guy that kind of knows more about God than she did. And so in his mind, he's, he's got it all in there. But his heart is getting closer and closer. You know what? If they had never chosen to follow Jesus, it wouldn't matter to me. I love them anyway. We have, we have to love people. And at some point, you know, when we go towards a threat, instead of being threatened by these people, we need to just love them. Sometimes when you do that, you'll get an opportunity to tell the truth to them. And if, if people know that you love them, they can handle the truth. I mean, if you're here today and you're like, you feel like you're on the outs with God, you're trying to make your way back. I mean, don't you want me to tell you the truth? You want me to lie to you? You know what the truth is? God is for you. He loves you. He's so willing to get your attention that he would send his son to die on a cross for you. All that stuff that you're thinking, man, I've done some stuff though, Ed. Like, God's not going to like me. I know. I know. God did send his son, and he paid for all of that stuff that you've done that you think God's going to punish you for. All he wants from you is to come to him, to become a follower of his son. Dedicate your life to him. Be a follower. 
That's all. He loves you, wants you in a relationship. That's the truth. The sin has broken all of us. If you're here in this room and, and you're, you know, you're a Christian and your life has just become Christianized, like there's no lost people in your life, would you follow Jesus? To follow Jesus means there's no us versus them. I guarantee you, if you say to him, Jesus, I am willing to love a lost person, I will bet everything he'll put a lost person in your life that you notice. He's just really good at that because that's what he does. And that's the job. We follow him. If you're here and you're like, Ed, I've been, I've been doing this for so long and I'm not seeing any fruit. These people think I'm nuts. I love them and they are nuts, but there's nothing's happening. I need them to wake up. Listen, I cannot fix that problem. But I know that you can go to God and I know that God can fix it. And maybe you just need a little bit more patience, a little bit more strength, a little bit more love. Don't give up. Don't give up. Here's what, here's what I want to do. Just as we kind of finish out this time, I just want us to connect to God. I want us to pray. I'm going to ask the, you know, the band to come back up and lead us. They're going to lead us in a couple more songs just to, to finish out. But I don't want to miss a time for us to pray. So I'm going to ask you all to stand and, you know, in the best way you can, just kind of get in, a, in, your, in your mind, I'm going to talk to God right now. Maybe just kind of like close your eyes if that helps you or bow your head if that helps you or kneel if that helps you or whatever helps you. There's going to be some prayer partners up here that if you feel comfortable, if you feel like that would be a, a big help to you, come up and have someone pray for you. That might be the best thing you can do. You can pray right in your seat. If you're, you feel like you're making your way back to God, this is a time for you just to talk to God and say, God, I am sorry. I've done this my way, and I am sorry. Please forgive me. And just tell him that in your own words. It doesn't matter how it sounds. He knows your language. Just talk to him. Tell him you believe in the Son of God, Jesus, that you believe he died on the cross and rose again. You know you've heard it, but now tell him you believe he died for you. Just ask him to come into your life. Tell him you want to follow him as best you can. You can admit to him you're not going to be perfect at this. He already knows that, but you can admit it if you like. Just tell him. Tell them in your own words. If you're here and, and you've been kind of out of the game, you've just kind of created your own circle and those people offend you, I get that, but repent from that. It's time to repent. Tell God, God, I am sorry for having an attitude that doesn't reflect who you are. And just tell him you're sorry. Just say, I repent, God. And if you're here and maybe you've got someone on your mind you've been trying to reach out to, and you just want them to wake up and see that the gospel is real for their life. I just want you to lift that person up to God right now. Just pray. And I'm going to pray for us a second. And you can continue praying. You can come up front. You can kneel. You can start to praise God as, as the band leads us out in these last two songs. But let me just pray for us. God, I am praying that we are connecting with you. That uh, we wouldn't leave this room without having our heart connect to your heart. God, I pray for those in this room who are making steps to go walk towards you. I pray that you would run to meet them. That they would realize the truth of the gospel, the good news that you love them and you're for them. God, bring them into a relationship with yourself. God, I pray for those of us in the room and people like me who are just at times, I'm just so 
uncaring towards people who don't think and act the way I want them to think and act. God, I pray that we would repent of that behavior, that we would look to love people that you love. And God, lastly, I just pray for the people that are in our lives that you would give us opportunities to share the truth with, with such a loving heart as yours, God. Give us a gospel-powered love, because that's what we need, God. In your son's holy name, amen.